0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark.
1: It is also important, however, for us to understand that the role that we have in the church is to be aware that there are, and even as I'm speaking to to this congregation here tonight, statistically 50% half of you have been divorced, statistically. And that we have to also be careful that we're not communicating, you know, here the world is casual, no-fault divorce. The church can't be about legal, find fault with divorcees.
0: Unfortunately, in this world, many know the pains and heartaches of divorce. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you about the balance that needs to happen within the church on this subject. The world says divorce is no problem, and that it's not a big deal. However, God hates divorce, but this is not a reason for people in the church to fault find with those who've been divorced. Pastor Gary encourages you to be an advocate for healing within the local church body. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 10,
1: with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus then left that place where he had been ministering, and he had been ministering in Capernaum, and he's going to leave the Galilee region for the last time here in Mark's gospel because he's going to be making his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. So he's going to leave that place, it tells us here in verse 1, he's, and uh, it'll be the end of his public ministry just before his crucifixion. And he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came, notice, and tested him. They weren't sincere in this. They were testing him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits Adultery. Now, one of the things about going straight through the Bible is we tackle every subject, including those that are somewhat delicate. I can tell you, growing up in the church, I never once heard a teaching on the subject of divorce. And perhaps it's because, you know, when if you don't teach straight through the Bible, and you go to a church where they do what I used to do before teaching straight through the Bible, which is what I call the hunt and peck method, where you just hunt for a passage and... There, that's the one we're going to teach from, and it's easy when you're teaching like that to avoid any delicate subjects or any hot topics. And obviously divorce is a sensitive subject, but uh, Jesus addresses it in all four of the Gospels, and so it is something important for us to uh, also understand a biblical perspective of. Now, before we actually dig out these verses, let me just say this much. Uh, one of the things that is important for us to understand on this delicate subject is the bottom line from what Jesus is saying here about this subject is and let's just translate it in modern terms that there should be there should not be this casual no-fault divorce in the church our society has made it very easy for people to get divorces for any and every reason and uh, so And the number one reason for divorces today is irreconcilable differences. That's the official reason that people give. Hello, that's called marriage. There will always be irreconcilable differences between you and your spouse because you are two different people and you will have differences that are irreconcilable. One of the things that needs to be understood is that this very casual, no fault divorce that has played out itself in our culture, Christians should take very, very seriously in that marriage is a sacred covenant that God has given as a wonderful institution, that there were three things basically that God has ordained, and that is the church and government and marriage, and that marriage should be esteemed as something sacred and holy because it reflects Christ and Christ's relationship to the church. So the bottom line of what Jesus is going to be uh, trying to instruct us about is that particularly now in our day, as we see how casual and uh, how loose marriage and divorce is, that Christians above all, pe- above all people should take so seriously marriage and the covenant of marriage that we would not be so easily persuaded like our culture is to give in to these casual, no-fault divorces. Now, having said that, it is also important, however, for us to understand that the role that we have in the church is to be aware that there are, and even as I'm speaking to this congregation here tonight, statistically, 50% of you have been divorced. Statistically. And that we have to also be careful that we're not communicating, you know, here the world is casual, no-fault divorce. The church can't be about legal, find fault with divorcees. Because that also can become a very legalistic approach to, and people get treated as if divorce is this unpardonable sin. It's not an unpardonable sin. But unfortunately, sometimes Christians don't handle the subject very well. We're on one end of the spectrum. We're either, you know, very casual about marriage and divorce, and it's easy to seek a no-fault divorce, or or we can get very legalistic about it, and we can shame people who've had divorces, and uh, that shouldn't be the case either. And so it's important for us to understand that this is a, you know, divorce is, a, is, is messy. It is complicated. Uh, there are uh, different extenuating circumstances. And by that, I mean, you know, uh, what's a biblical grounds for divorce and what isn't. Uh, was a person was this pre-christian or post-christian is one spouse a believer another spouse is not a believer does one spouse claim to be a believer but is doing something very unlike what scripture says and so they're acting like a non-believer so is that grounds and if they separate is that abandonment is this separation when is separation okay when is divorce okay when is and it gets very messy and very complicated and then when children are involved and, 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 and that whole thing about sharing custody and uh, where do the kids go on the holidays and, and splitting up family time, it, I mean, it is complicated, it is messy, it is painful. It has brought a lot of hurt into a lot of people's lives. And so, you know, we need to handle this subject tactfully and gracefully, but we also need to take it seriously. And so, so here come some, some Pharisees who were wanting just to test Jesus. They don't, they're not interested really in the truth. They just want to see him somehow trip. And so they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, the reason they're asking this is because in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. Every, there were different teachers in Jesus' day. Okay. Jesus was, obviously we know he was Messiah, but he was also considered a rabbi. He was considered a teacher. And there were different rabbis and every rabbi had a certain following, of students. And Jesus had his own. Well, there, there was also some rabbis, a school of thought in Jesus' day of some uh, rabbis that had preceded him. One was called Rabbi Shammai, and one was called Rabbi Hillel. And they had followers. And when it came to this subject, there was a school of Shammai and a school of Hillel. And the school of Shammai was more of a conservative approach to divorce. And uh, they were careful not to... Um, you know, divorce casually, and the school of Halal was very liberal in its view of divorce. And it all hinged on one particular verse of the Old Testament. And here it is, so rather than have you turn, I'm going to throw the whole thing. It's, it's kind of tiny print, but let me just read it to you. It's Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. This is what it says. And this is what the Pharisees were referring to. This is what Moses would write: If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be de in the eyes of the Lord. Everybody get that? I mean, it's wordy and it's somewhat complicated, isn't it? Now, the main verse that these different rabbinical schools were hung up on is verse one, and it has to do with one particular word, and it's the word "indecent." It's the word "indecent." So, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing him because he finds something indecent about her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. And then it became parsing out words. Well, what's indecent? Well, the school of of Shammai said, well, the only thing that is really indecent is sexual sin. If there is a, if there's sexual immorality in the marriage that breaks the marital bond, then that is indecent. And that's what Moses is referring to when he speaks here about divorce. That's grounds for divorce. School of Hillel, however, who followed the teachings of Rabbi Hillel, said, no, 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 indecent can be a multitude of reasons. If you find something indecent about her, and literally, they had a list, and they had a list of things like, if she burns your dinner, that's considered indecent. You can divorce her. Here's another one. You'll find this one. Something I'm sure, ladies, none of you have ever done. If you ever speak ill of your in-laws, grounds for divorce. School of Philel also said, if she spins around in public and she's kind of loud in public, divorce her. And they had a very liberal view of what defined indecent. So here come these Pharisees to Jesus and they're basically saying, it doesn't say it here in the text, but in the context of what's going on in the day of Jesus, they're basically saying this. What school do you come down on? Do you, school, do you come down on the school of Hillel Or Do you come down on the school of Shammai? The more conservative, the more liberal view. What Jesus is going to end up saying is, I don't come down on the school of any rabbi. I come, I, I come down. I mean, on the side of any rabbi, I come down on the side of God. And what does God say about it? Well, what He does here is He quotes from Genesis two twenty four and God's original design for marriage is what Jesus is referring to right here from Genesis 2.24, which says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So he's going to take them back to the basics. God designed the institution of marriage. It should be between one man and one woman. Hello? One man, one woman. I can't believe I have to emphasize that. You know, 15 years ago, I would never have thought to do that, but now we have to. That's God's definition of marriage, okay? And He and He doesn't change with the culture. I, I'm so sick and tired of hearing now on television. You know, we live in changing times. Well, the times might be changing, but the standard of God doesn't change. And truth is absolute. And uh, two plus two will never equal six. And uh, and 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 so what God says to be true is always going to be true. And it doesn't get altered because there's just a change in culture or perspectives or views. There's some things that are just absolute. And we have to receive and believe God's word to be true in that regard and still having compassion for people who obviously would disagree with us on that issue and increasingly more so. But uh, but anyhow, here's what's happening. J- Jesus gets back to the basics. He says God has ordained marriage between one man and one woman. It should be a, for a lifetime. It is a spiritual as well as a physical uh, bond that occurs when there's sexual union. That couple becomes, in essence, one flesh. There is a bond that happens uh, in a marital relationship, and God intended for that sexual intimacy to be the a bond that occurs between a husband and a wife. And, um, that was God's original design. Well, they push back here because they say, well, you know, Moses just said you could write a certificate of divorce. And, and Jesus challenges them. He says, listen, it's because your hearts were hard. Moses was just simply trying to regulate a problem that was out of control. Even in Moses' day, what had happened is that people were just casually getting married and casually divorcing and remarrying and casually getting divorced again and casually remarrying. The fact of the matter is that when when you look back, let me just uh, glance back at uh, what Deuteronomy says, what Moses was writing about here was really not so much on the issue of divorce as it was on the issue of remarriage. Because the problem of divorce was a a a, a problem in Moses' day for sure. What was happening is they were perpetuating a cycle. It wasn't that they were just divorcing; they were divorcing and remarrying, divorcing, and remarrying, divorcing, and remarrying, divorcing and remarrying. Because this whole thing is like a long run-on sentence that really is talking about what happens when you divorce and your wife remarries. And then that guy gets tired of her, or that guy dies, and she wants to come back to you. And then you just kind of pick up where you left off. And he said, it's just very, this very haphazard, you know, a senseless way of dealing with something that is very, very serious. Uh, many years ago, when I was a youth pastor, uh, there were a couple of uh, teenage girls in my youth group, and... Uh, and I went over to visit them at their house one day, and the mom was out mowing the lawn, and I, and, which was unusual, because the dad was always the one mowing the lawn, and so I'm out there in the, in the lawn talking, uh, to, to the mom and, um, of the teenage girls, and, and I said, where, where's your husband? I called him by name, and, and she said, well, do you have a minute? I'm like, okay. She said, um, you knew that, that, uh, he was divorced before we married, and I said, yeah, I, I know. And it was before he was a Christian, and, well, he had this epiphany that he that he thinks after being married now for almost 20 years now to this current wife and having three wonderful daughters that he should go back to his first wife. And he left his family to go back to his first wife, And um, you talk about, you know, there's hurt all, all over the place. You're divorcing your first wife, you're hurting her, then you're marrying again, and now you're having three children, and now you're divorcing the second wife, and you're going back to the first wife, the second wife is hurt, the three girls are hurt. I mean, it's messy. It's terrible. And this is the kind of thing that, that Moses was trying to regulate here, and Jesus, what he does is he gets back to the basics, and he says, look, God's original intent here was for one man to marry one woman, and for them to be married for a lifetime. And, Then his disciples kind of pull him to the side and they want to know a little bit more about this, verse 10 says. And he answered them in verse 11, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery with her. Now, one of the, one of the beauties about the gospels, four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that we have the perspective of four different people who are equally inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the words and events of Jesus and his ministry. And so what you get is different angles that help complement each other so that you have a fuller story. It's like, you know, if, if, if four people were to see a car accident and they had to testify as witnesses, you'd have four different people who would say many things that are similar, but they would also have a different angle, perhaps, of, of the timeline and events, and because they were standing at different positions and they could see different things that happened, and so their report of the events of the car accident would complement each other because you have four different angles. What you have here in the gospel, sometimes I hear people say, you know, how come one gospel says this and another gospel says that? It looks like a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. They complement each other. What you have is the fullness of the story. One of the things that Matthew tells us that Mark doesn't is that when Jesus gets to this point and he says that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, well, Matthew tells us in Matthew 19, 9, that Jesus adds, except for marital unfaithfulness. That Jesus inserts the word in the Greek it's pornea, we get our English word pornography from it, and it's a broad word that talks about all kinds of sexual sin and sexual immorality, and Jesus is saying here that basically there's one biblical grounds for divorce, and that would be sexual immorality, the breaking of the marital bond. Now, God will also inspire Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to talk about another exception, and that is when a non-believer leaves and bails and abandons you, and you as a believer uh, are able to remarry. So there are two grounds for divorce in the Bible. And that would be marital unfaithfulness uh, and or if you are married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to leave. Uh, besides that, there just aren't. Obviously, there are some unhealthy uh, relationships that, that would be unsafe to, to be in. And so for you, it might be uh, a long period of separation. Uh, sometimes people just simply aren't resigned to perhaps in a situation where they might need to be separated and celibate to be separated and celibate because a lot of times we think it's all about my happiness and without real regard for sometimes what God's word says, that I want my happiness more than I want to be separ- uh, separated and celibate. So, you know, the, it gets, again, it gets complicated, it gets uh, messy, but the bottom line is we should as Christians hold to the sacredness of marriage as a covenant instituted by God. We should not give in to the practice of our culture to just engage in this kind of casual, no-fault divorce We should take marriage seriously. We should intend when we walk down the aisle to stick together through thick and thin. It is for better or worse. It is in sickness and in health. It is to love, honor, and cherish till death us do part. And so those... Vows that we take are critical to living out our faith in a, in a wholesome way. And it, and it can be hard. It can be tough. And I tell people something when they get marital, premarital counseling, they say, listen, discount the first five years. What do you mean? It's supposed to be the most wonderful years of our lives. Yeah, first five years are going to be pretty rough because you're going to be making a lot of adjustments. And what about the years after? Well, it kind of keeps going. But anyhow, <laughs> you, uh, but you're going to be making constant adjustments because you're two different people with irreconcilable differences. But we need to have grace for those who have been divorced because it's very painful as well. Now, as we move on here, Jesus uh, engages little children here in a, in a very tender way, but uh, his disciples think that uh, Jesus is too busy to be bothered by children. Verse 13 says that people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. I always read this passage here when we dedicate little ones. And it says in verse 14 that when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. And so, you know, we practice that here at Cornerstone. We just dedicate little ones to the Lord. We pray over them, and we ask the Lord to bless them. But, you know, imagine this. Jesus' disciples, the ones who should be the most spiritual and mature, actually think that Jesus is too busy to be bothered by children. And they are upset at parents who would bother Jesus with their little stinky children. And uh, and Jesus is indignant. He's mad here at his disciples for, for thinking that he's too busy uh, for children. And so he's, it's a very tender moment here where he takes the children and he speaks about children as an example to adults. That in essence, when he talks here about, you know, unless you become like little children, we'll never enter the kingdom of God because there's something very uh innocent. There's something uh, very wonderful and wide-eyed about kids. They're, they are humble in nature until they grow up to become adults like us, and then pride sets in. But basically, children at first, they're very humble. There's no pretense. They don't have any agenda. You know, they're just, you know... Uh, uh, wide-eyed with wonder about their world. And in a similar way, we need to approach Jesus with humility. You will never have relationship with Jesus if you come just all proud and arrogant. It requires a certain measure of recognizing that He is great and I am not and He knows all things and I don't and He is Savior and I need Him. And that requires humbling ourselves and, and to, uh, you know, be, be contrite before Him. Because he esteems here these little children as as illustrations of what we should be about. We should humble ourselves like little children in order to enter the kingdom. He took them in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Now, I think the following story is... Um, a great example of why we need to be humble and broken and contrite before Him. Because here comes what your Bibles might say as mine does, the subtitle for this section, The Rich Young Man. Verse 17 says, As Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him and fell on his knees before Him. Good teacher, He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? enough, jump in and you'll find the corner your
0: new life. thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick Pastor Gary has been walking us through the book of Mark more than the other gospel books Mark seems to have been written in a way that communicates the fast-paced course of Jesus's ministry helping us realize it was only for a short time while the book of Matthew focused on proving Jesus as King, Mark focused on Jesus as a servant. Jesus repeatedly displayed his servant's heart through the various miracles he performed, caring for others above himself. Jesus' example of a servant is something that we should be humbled by and should follow in his footsteps by serving others. We'd like to take a step in that direction by serving you in some way. Can we be praying for you? We'd love to know what's on our listeners' hearts. If you're willing to share with us, our email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net We'd love to meet you, too. Come join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc While you're there, you'll find additional teachings from this series in Mark, and other series. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to hear Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know